Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Syrup Arcade Cast, Mobile Syrup and Syrup Arcade's gaming podcast. I'm your co-host, Dean Daly, and I'm here with the pod's other co-host, Brad Schenker. How are you doing today, Brad? Great, thanks. How are you? I am doing all right. I'm very excited to talk about gaming today. So since this is the first ever arcade cast, to get ourselves situated, Syrup Arcade is Mobile Syrup's gaming brand, with the Syrup Arcade Cast being focused on all aspects of gaming. We'll discuss all things to do with video games, including new games, rumors, trailers, accessibility in gaming, diversity in gaming, controversies, and concerns regarding gaming companies. And we'll have a section carpet out each week for some Canadian-based gaming love. This week's topic is God of War Ragnarok. Brad Jankar has had his hands on the game for a few weeks. How are you liking it? I love it. Uh, it's my game of the year currently. Uh, I know some people, uh, including yourself, were maybe a bit more into Elden Ring, at least so far. But uh, And as much as I did enjoy my time with Elden Ring, it's uh, God of War is definitely the, the runaway uh, game of the year for me right now. What's so special about it that it's so runaway for you? I think what's what's pretty notable about it is it takes everything from the 2018 game and just improves upon it. Um, I feel like the story, which was the, the biggest surprise uh, and most impressive thing for me, was it's still very much focused on Kratos and Atreus, that sort of emotional core about father and son. Uh, only this time Atreus is a little older, so he's a teenager and a bit more rebellious. But it's also, it, it brings in like the whole Norse pantheon, which was something that was only teased in the first game, um, where you saw a few characters, but it was mostly just sort of hinting at, oh, Odin's in the background, Thor's in the background, so you don't ever really see them. But in this game, they come in, in a, pretty soon, and they have a big role in the story, and there's so many other Norse gods that I wouldn't want to spoil uh, that show up. And, and so part of the appeal is seeing how they come into the story, how they might show up, and what that sort of means for Kratos and Atreus' journey, um, which, again, is is still the, the focus, but seeing how they sort of interact with all these new characters is uh, very interesting. Yes, I'm a big, like, Norse god fan. Well, I'm a fan of, like, all sorts of mythologies and pantheons. I play a game called Smite, which gets you really involved in knowing all of them. So I'm super excited to see what Norse mythology they bring in. Are, are, are we expecting, like, a lot of surprises? Oh yeah, for sure. I think what's what's really effective is that they and and it's not even necessarily anything that Sony Santa Monica specifically did, but they sort of benefit from the fact that a lot of people's perception of Norse gods have been shaped by the Marvel movies. So like people think Thor is Chris Hemsworth with his like chiseled abs and you know, he's just a a big bro basically or, or they might think Odin is sort of this grandiose larger than life Anthony Hopkins you know multi Oscar winner yeah. sort of actor but then you play God of War Ragnarok and you know this isn't a spoiler like they've shown Thor is is pudgier he's he looks more like um 
um what's his name Falstag, i think in the in the mcu movies where he's sort of the shorter bigger guy and he's a bit gruffer and more of a a drinker uh so he's kind of got that edge to him which you don't really see with chris hemsworth thor and same with odin he's a lot more he reminded me a lot i I mentioned in my review he reminded me a lot of james woods's uh hades and hercules where he's sort of not maybe necessarily the most intimidating to look at but he's so much fun like he's got this this charm to him this personality he's uh he's sort of kind of comes off as like a snake oil salesman kind of a very sleazy vibe to him okay. but he's but he's very likable and he's voiced by richard schiff from the west wing who a lot of people uh might know him from so uh, that's a popular actor and character there but uh i've never seen that show but just going off of this game the performance is really good and, and the way that he sort of again comes into the story very early on and uh interacts with kratos and atreus and all the other gods is uh very interesting i find that like interesting that you brought up like pudgier uh thor which it kind of reminds me of thor in uh endgame endgame yeah, where yeah. He's, he's just like drinking all the time and just playing games mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's probably a, um, a, a good analogy uh and i think uh because to their credit you know what sony santa monica has done is every character i think has so much depth and uh dimensions to them like uh, even thor like you see him at first you know you might think oh he's just kind of a one note oh i want to fight people and you know, this isn't a spoiler, but his sons were Magni and Modi, who were in the first mm-hmm. game, the two brothers that uh, Kratos and Atreus fight and kill. So he's kind of got a, a chip on his shoulder, you know, like Kratos killed my sons sort of thing. So he he kind of wants to see what does this guy who took out my sons, like, I want to see what I can make of him and sort of thing. So that's kind of how he starts off. But then you learn a lot more about him. And it's like, oh, he's got a family life. And, you know, what's his relationship with Odin? And there's so much there to unpack. Again, I won't go into any spoilers, but it's it's very interesting to see. Like he's far from the one note sort of character you might think he is. So because I've been avoiding a lot of the trailers because I'm such a huge person who's afraid of like any spoilers or anything. But even hearing you talk is getting me really interested because I uh, I really just expected to just see Thor once, beat him, and never see him again. And then have Odin be that final boss character that we don't really get to. We just see his ravings along. And then at the very end, we fight Odin. But to hear that, you're going to get to see them more and experience them like and learn more about them is actually really exciting. Yeah, I think the, the best thing I can say, which isn't uh, spoilers at all, it's like when they first gave the codes to people, they let people talk about the first five hours of the game, the preview section. And, you know, the, the highlight of that is fighting Thor. So the fact that that was the scene that they kept showing in all the trailers, Thor fighting Kratos, you know, that happens in the first like two or three hours of the game. So if that's what they're, they're leaning into so far, like just only imagine what else there is in store. And if if that was something that came early, but that is still something that there's still so much more than that, I should say. That's just so like thrilling and exciting. How, um, I'm skipping ahead, I guess, but how long did the game take you to finish? Yeah, uh, when I rolled credits, uh, it was 30 hours. Um, That was me doing a lot of side quests. Um, As I was saying to you before this, you know, you can see your trophies ping when the game uh, before a release, but you can't actually view the trophies trophy list until the game is live. So all these trophies were popping. And I think it said I had like 85% completion, though that was maybe putting in another 10 hours after that 30. So uh, but yeah, just to do the story and a bunch of side quests was about 30 hours, which was a really good length, I feel. It didn't need to be overly long. I mean, if you 
just mainline the story, you could probably do it in a little over 20, I would imagine. Uh, maybe even yeah, shorter. I, but. I've grown to like start disliking the very long games just because it's just like I don't have the time. Elden Ring was a little different for me because I'm just a Soulsborne fan. But like if it's a narrative game, it's too long. I'm just not about it anymore. So I'm excited to hear that it's like in, within the 20 to 30 hour time span. Um, I think the first game was around that long too, right? Yeah, it's about the same length, uh, I think, if you're just doing the story. Um, but yeah, I've, I've written a lot of things about how games are too long nowadays. And, you know, the yeah. data shows that like the majority of people don't actually finish games. So it's like often it's companies just putting in content for the sake of having content and people say they want that content, but they don't actually play it. So I, I feel like it, you might as well just focus on making 20, 30, 40 hour experience that is really good versus, you know, 60, 70, 80 and then half of it is kind of like filler, right? So, but that's the thing about God of War, I think. And this was true with the first game, but especially so with the sequel, is that everything feels purposeful. Like every quest, you know, I, one of my issues was I feel like some of the general quest design was a little repetitive, just in the sense that, oh, you know, take out these seven types of Draugr or, you know, get a different flower from each realm sort of thing. But so while the the framework of the quests might feel a little repetitive, they feel really purposeful because everything you do has like narrative significance. Uh, like in the first game, Kratos, would, there was a side quest where he would like help a spirit that was very clearly trying to trick them. And he knew this, but he was mm. he was doing it to try to teach Atreus that, you know, don't trust everyone you see and, you know, don't let your guard down, basically. Uh, so there was like a narrative significance to it, even though he knew better. Uh, and that sort of thing applies here. Like a lot of the side quests are tied into the the larger theme of, you know, the idea of can we be better, right? That was something Kratos said a lot in the first game. And this game is sort of him putting his money where his mouth is, so to speak. And that applies to like every character. So like you'll be doing side quests for Mimir, you know, the, the severed head from the first game. And he'll be yeah. telling you about all the, the stuff that he did for Odin that he's ashamed of. And he's like, you know, brother, will you help me with this? Because he's obviously a head and can't do anything himself. So a lot of it is, you know, will you help me sort of atone for the sins of my past? And then Kratos will, you know, sort of relate to that. I'm sorry, my dog is barking. Uh, Kratos will, you know, relate to that because he himself has a very checkered past. So everything, all those quests sort of tie into character, which I think is, is so impressive. You know, everything feels like it has a purpose and you're doing something that either fleshes out the world, like you learn more about the elves and the, the history of them sort of thing or other characters that I won't spoil and yeah, everything. And then not obviously not to mention you're getting all these great rewards, uh, new loot, new gear, uh, upgrading the Leviathan axe, upgrade, upgrading the blades of chaos, stuff like that. So everything feels meaningful. Speaking of the Leviathan axe and the blades of chaos, um, how's combat this time around? I, I really enjoyed the combat in the first game, but are we expecting something like very similar or it's it's certainly very similar to start i i think the biggest thing is um having the blades from the start really changes how sony santa monica approaches combat because in the original game or the, the 2018 game you got the blades very late yeah so you know later. anything that they sort of introduced had to be late game stuff uh but when you have them from the start, it sort of changes how the philosophy of, of design. So like, you know, um, you'll you'll encounter a lot of enemy types that are maybe resistant to, to one or the other. So you have to kind of switch back and forth. Um, 
the, there's all the added verticality to levels, which I think is really cool. So like you'll be fighting on the ground and then maybe there'll be like a Draugr who's on a higher level, who's like shooting fire at you. So then you can just like run up with the blade of chaos, uh, like latch onto the ledge, bolt yourself up and then take him down. And then when you're going back to the ground level, you can do like an aerial smash attack. Uh, and it's, you know, each weapon has its own, um, one so it's it's got a very nice seamless sort of feel to it where you'll be fighting on the ground you can go up top hit hit a few guys jump back down do like a ground pound sort of thing so i really like that sort of fluidity and seamlessness of the combat where it feels a, a lot more dynamic you're not necessarily just staying in one place or fighting like one guy um and obviously just having the blades from the start means that you have a lot more range because i mean you could always throw the axe of course but um, the blades are, are really good for sort of crowd control when you fight larger groups of enemies, whereas the Leviathan Axe is better for like one-on-one -on -one sort of fighting. So the way that you kind of switch back and forth. And then the other big thing that they introduced was the idea of elemental attributes to the weapon. So like the Leviathan Axe, you can charge it up and imbue it with frost. So that'll like in increase mm -hmm. a frost meter on the enemy. And when that's um, filled, it'll like freeze them. So like weaker enemies will be like completely frozen. So... Uh, you can hit them for more damage or even just keep them sort of out of the way, right? Uh, you could up upgrade the, the axe in the first game to kind of do that for single yeah. enemies, but uh, like just throw it to keep that one enemy like pinned for a bit. But this is sort of that, like an yeah. evolution on that. Um, and then the blades have a burn ability. So same kind of thing. You can uh, charge up the burn meter and then inflict burn damage. So it kind of like chips away at their health. So it's kind of a, a cool like back and forth sort of flow of, you know, you have the stun meter that you always want to uh, get up as well. So you can do like a, a powerful attack or even a finisher. But uh, you also have going on at the same time those elemental damages. So it's it's kind of a, a cool back and forth of, you know, managing those meters. And uh, it never feels like overwhelming, but it is kind of a nice added layer to combat. So talking about the Leviathan Axe is getting me a little excited because I love the way it felt in the first game. I, I remember just throwing it and being like, oh, this feels great. Um how does the ps5 improve any of that experience like this is there like a haptic better haptics with the new controller or oh yeah for sure they, they have all the haptics so when you throw the the axe and then call it back you'll feel that like satisfying thump when it comes in yeah. you know um which just adds to it right because the the axe already felt really good to use it has that sort of crunchy feel to it uh and yeah the haptics just kind of add to it it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like miles morales when you like do the venom blast. You like charge up the punch. It ha it gives it that extra oomph, which is really nice. Um, and then obviously like little things like uh, the load times on PS5 are obviously a lot better because uh, which is nice because there are a lot of like tough optional bosses in this game. I, I won't spoil them, of course, but uh, so you know dying and and coming back is uh, really helpful when the load times are a lot quicker because uh, the game does that thing like the first one where everything is like in one take which is really cool so you know they don't do yeah. any cuts it's like a one take movie so all the loading is sort of done at the beginning uh but obviously that's reduced on ps5 and then if you die uh the load times are quicker too so i think those are kind of the two biggest things about the ps5 that sort of enhance it because uh, otherwise it is a ps4 game as well um so it's not like a, a huge leap forward in terms of visuals or uh, anything like that, but uh, it is still a lot of nice, cool little things like that on PS5. Random, random, like going a little away from topic, but 
should this game have been made for PS4 too, you think? Or should they have kept it on PS5? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, you know, I think it's one of those things where this whole generation has been weird because of COVID and uh, a lot of things were delayed yeah. and everything. And then there's just the whole chip shortages and everything. So it's one of those things where obviously if it was PS5 only, it would have been able to do things that maybe this game wouldn't have been able to. Uh, but that's obviously a hypothetical, right? Like, I, I can't really speculate on what else they might have been able to do, and they certainly would never tell us, right? So I think yeah, just for sure. that's fair. going off of the game that we have and, and knowing that a lot of people still can't even get a PS5, like, you know, knowing that the vast majority of people are going to be playing this on PS4 just because the install base is, like, over 100 million with that versus, I think it's, what, like 20 million for PS5, something like that. So, yeah, just knowing that the vast majority of people will still be able to play it is a great thing because... You know, it's it's unfortunate when you have great games that are limited by hardware in terms of they're exclusive and not a lot of people can play them, sort of thing. So, just knowing that there's a lot more people that's that fair, can yeah. play it, I think is, I think it's that's it's exciting. So you've played all the God of War games, right? Mm-hmm. How does this game like? So when I was playing the original, when I was playing, sorry, not the original, I was playing the last one, 2018 God of War. Uh, I think there were throwbacks to the originals games, but I didn't play them, so I didn't really know. Um, I, like when I I got the chains, I was like, "Oh, this looks familiar from a game that I maybe rented for three days back in the day." But uh, is there a lot any like in Ragnarok? Is there any like throwbacks to those games at all, or are we just it's just really like 2018 in this game, and that's like it's too like very separate. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, uh, w- when you're talking about 2018, yeah, when you get the blades, Athena um, from the Greek realms, who was in the original God of War game, she shows up briefly um, as sort of like a haunting figure in Kratos's mind. And then you see like a, a figure of Zeus when he's in hell as well. So there, are, I-, I would say 2018 is more directly um, tied to the original games just because they kind of needed to have that transition, I think. So they had like some of those characters appearing, but in Ragnarok, it's a lot more references, I would say. Like, there's no no direct sort of carryover. Uh, like, you're, you're not going to see, like, Zeus or Ares or Athena or anything sort of uh, pop up in that way like they did in 2018. But there are, there's a ton of references, for sure. Like, uh, I mean, one of the highlights of the original game were those conversations between the characters, especially when you're on the boat, mm-hmm. uh, all the storytelling that they would do. And they had that really cool thing where if you go on land they'll like pause the conversation and then resume it when you get back in the boat yeah, the game yeah, will remember yeah. they still do that of course so a lot of cool things like that so yeah there's the stories that, i mean that's another reason to do the side quest right because uh just heading to the side quest you're still getting all this these little narrative tidbits and, and cradles will reflect on things he's done in his past and there'll be fun references um like there's one where it's not a spoiler but in god of war 2 um like the original god of war 2 he basically time travels to stop zeus from killing him uh and so he he meets like the greek fates and all of that um and he references that in this game uh and then you know the character um mimir will, will thinks like he's joking basically he's like you didn't really time travel uh and and so obviously if you've played the original games you'll you'll have a little bit more appreciation for some of those sort of conversations but you don't really lose anything either i think just the biggest thing is just appreciating that kratos was such a one note bland character before and to think of how far he's come like so many people in the reviews said that like kratos is now one of their favorite characters which is like something they never would have said 
in the previous games, but now the arc that he goes on, like by the end of this game, you know, like I, I was crying by some of the stuff that, that these characters were doing and saying because he's he's come so far. So I think having some prior knowledge of who Kratos is, I'm sorry again for my dog. Um, having prior knowledge of, of Kratos definitely enhances the arc that he goes on, but it, it's certainly not necessary. In terms of settings, like how different is the setting in this like in this game compared to in the uh, in uh, the twenty eighteen version? Like, there's like a snowy area now or something. Yeah, well, one thing they do really cool is, you know, gamers complain about things being reused, like animations or locations, but uh, obviously that, first of all, that uh, overlooks the fact that games are just very hard to make. Like, the idea of creating new animations for every single thing, like, it's just not, it's just unrealistic. But um, one thing that uh, the Washington Post actually pointed out in the review, which I thought was a really good point, was using, reusing some of the locations, um, actually kind of creates like a sense of familiarity and so when they change things it, it, that's sort of a, a way of storytelling in and of itself right so like as an example the snowy area that you're mentioning that is midgard that's from the first game uh but in that game it was there was a lake there were like uh yeah. more open areas to explore now because of fimble winter which is like the end of all uh it's basically what comes before ragnarok so different realms are affected in different ways so like in midgard everything is frozen so you're you're revisiting some of the same areas from from the first game but when they previously kind of felt open and alive and sort of welcoming now it's like cold and frigid and uh isolating so it adds like a cool sense of atmosphere to this place that you have so many fond memories of going through with atreus is now like really eerie um so that's kind of what they do with some of the returning stuff but yeah, this game you go to all nine realms, which is not something that you did in the first game. So there are new realms to explore. Like uh, my favorite was Vanaheim. Um, it's sort of like the you learn more about Freya from there. That's sort of her homeland, and um, there's a whole background there about like a civil war that's going on with Odin. So you learn a lot about there. But it's like a giant like forestry um, uh, sort of planet so, or realm. So there's a lot of uh, bugs and insects and animals and and creatures and it feels like a very hot and dense forest and then as i'm exploring it there's like more areas that just keep opening up that are completely optional um so that's kind of maybe the biggest realm i think but then you have like i said the returning ones that are like a little more cold and isolating or even ones in the first game that were kind of limiting like um helheim uh was uh sorry not helheim the i think uh shoot the the fire one i'm I'm blanking on the name um yeah okay yeah i don't remember um, the same either but the, yeah the fire that, one, you, you just fight this one boss there or something like that right yeah it's pretty much just for like a gauntlet you run like a series of gauntlets in the first game but there's a lot more yeah. areas to explore there uh you go there for more story reasons and then there also are like optional challenges you can do there as well like that sort of returns but so it's really just kind of taking everything that was in the first game making it bigger making it different so uh but also kind of giving you an idea of how much bigger this world is uh, with all the different realms. They all feel really unique and different, which is really interesting and really compelling because the first game, I think the, the the realms that you go to, they're not too many and they do start to feel a little samey at times. Uh, but this yeah. game, like the variety is huge. Uh, I love the, I love that. It actually makes me even more excited uh, 
nine realms to even really explore them all uh, seems like it could be overwhelming even. But just to, <laughs> you know, just to come back to what we're saying, right? It's all purposeful. Like, it's not big for the sake of being big, like a lot yeah. of games are. Like, it's not just, it's not open world, to be clear, right? It's it's like the first game, which was sort of Metroidvania, where there are interconnected areas that, you know, you sort of unlock um, shortcuts through. And then, uh, you know, there's some areas that are only accessible via boat. And then you'll have to come back sometimes and use new gear or new weapon upgrades that you've gotten to sort of open up different paths right so it's it's, it feels like that sort of thing where it it, it's not big for the sake of being big but it's dense i think is the best way to put it so there's a lot of little hidden things in each one and again all the the little dialogue that comes about it so it feels meaningful like it doesn't feel overwhelming like to your point like it definitely could have if they went like oh here are realms for the sake of it and and again they do a good job of making each realm feel like like not every realm is the same size. Like some of them are very small, um, sp- comparatively uh, to the other ones. So you know, some of them, uh, you're only there for certain things, story reasons or whatever. So they have their own sense of purpose. But then others are very much the one that you go to to explore and do all these side quests. So it's a good variety. All right, cool, cool. This wasn't in our list of questions, but I'm just now curious about it. How is Tre- Atreus doing? He's uh, older now, right? He's an angsty teen. How is that? Yeah, yeah. so it's three years after the last game, so I don't know what his exact age is supposed to be, but he's, he's a teenager now. And part of the interesting thing is the voice actor, Sonny Suljic, you know, he, he's grown so much in, like, the five years since they made the last game that they had to, like, go back and edit his voice to get him to sound uh, <laughs> a little more comparable to when they started recording, which I think is a testament to how how much this character and this actor has grown like uh atreus is honestly incredible like even i was i was having a bit of an argument with a friend the other day who didn't like 2018 as much and he found atreus annoying i didn't agree with that at all but i will say that this game i like him a lot more because in the first game he was a little more of a passive character right in the idea in the sense Mm -hmm. that everything that he was doing was sort of related to kratos like there were a few things he would do like oh he he killed uh one of the gods and then kratos kind of got yeah. mad at him for it uh, that was sort of him taking agency but you know in this game he's very much he's older and more rebellious so he's got more of a sense of agency he's got more things that he wants to do you know he's sort of realizing his his place in all of these and everything and you know he wants to learn more about his his background as loki and and you know the giants and his mother and all of that so I, th- I think he's a lot more uh it, it could have come off as him being like an annoying teenager but they do a really good job of making him feel compelling and sympathetic and another thing they do which i think is really cool uh and i won't get into like too many spoilers but she was in the tra- the trailer um anger boda is uh one of the characters new characters that's in- um introduced in this game she got you know because people are are stupid she got blowback because she's black and you know there was a stupid mm-hmm. racist controversy surrounding that character but i loved her she was fantastic she ha- is another like sort of teenager so she has a really fun dynamic with atreus because you know we don't really see that in the first game atreus is like this kid yeah. only with his dad so you get to see him with someone who's his age and you get to show see him be more of a teenager right and you know have more of a personality and a, a nice little heart-to-heart uh sort of dynamic with her uh it reminded me a lot of uh the last of us where um ellie they had the dlc where ellie had had like her teenage friend and there was just a lot of like quiet moments of them just sort of like shooting the shit as it were 
Um, and I, I think that's really interesting about this game where you get to see Atreus be more of a teen. Like he's older, but fundamentally he's still a kid, right? So I think it's nice to get to see that. And then, you know, tying that back to Kratos, you know, him sort of softening up a little bit and, and realizing, you know, that, yeah, he's just a kid, right? <laughs> you know, like, so I, I think that's a very interesting sort of uh, journey that Atreus goes on through this game. And there's so much more I want to say that would be a spoiler. So it's, it's like really hard to sort of dance around things, but. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that the game doesn't come out and the game comes out and, wednesday and by the time this podcast is out the game will have already been out so in theory you should be able to say spoilers to anyone listening but i haven't played the game yet so i'm just yeah. a little wary of spoilers um we can well, it's one of those things to... where sorry yeah it's because it is like a dense game and there's so much going on and people play at their own pace like i, I never want to assume like oh something comes out on a tuesday or wednesday that people have already finished it by the friday sort for of sure thing. so it, it's fair. certainly one of those things that i'm i'm obviously very happy and totally understanding of trying to be spoiler free uh especially because this game did leak unfortunately so there were a lot of yeah spoilers. i saw it, right? yeah. stuff youtube thumbnails pretty much the ending all on youtube so which is horrible because this is i feel so bad for the team when this stuff like this happens because they they did a really good job like going back and re-watching the trailers like they did a really good job of keeping things a secret. Like I said, you know, if if what they're leading with is the first fight between Thor and Odin, or, sorry, Thor and uh, Kratos, like you can tell that there's a lot more in store and they they did a really good job of, of keeping things um, under wraps. So yeah, this is not a game that you want to have spoiled at all. Not, not like you ever so, want anything so to have spoiled, but you know what I mean? Yeah, my Twitter, uh, my muted words are <laughs> God of War, Ragnarok, God of war like, like i'm just making sure i <laughs> yeah. cover everything yeah I'm so uh, I, i'm very even like like there's a lot of like actors in this game like who are fairly well known that were not even confirmed at all like i was playing uh, I, I again obviously won't spoil it but like there's a there's one character like kratos is interacting with and then i'm looking at this character's face and i'm like this person looks familiar and I'm like it's literally the actor's face that they've used in the game and the voice oh, so, like, that's there's, so cool there's like so many uh, characters that they haven't even talked about and shown. So you don't know who's playing them or what their role is or anything like it's so there's so much to, to discover in this game. Oh, I'm just like a little nerd now being super excited. Um, so if anyone listening, uh, Brad did say, it, and it's, this is not a spoiler at all for Ragnarok, but Atreus is Loki. We find that out at the very end of the 2018 God of War. That's like the big, whoa, he's Loki. Um, there are hints of it throughout the game, but because everyone is so used to MCU, I'm sure they're thinking that Loki and Thor brothers, Norse mythology, they're not. Um, but Loki is still a trickster god from my understanding of Norse mythology. Is Atreus being more like a trickster is he being more angst like shitty in that sort of way <laughs> uh, i i can't really say too much for spoilers but i will say okay it goes back to the sort of again like you said you know people will think of like tom hiddleston's loki when they think yeah. of loki right so i think having that sort of perception works to your advantage when you play ragnarok because you might think loki is going to turn out in certain ways but um what they do with with him is very interesting and subversive i think uh and you also have to consider that it's it's sort of like i don't want to say it's like an origin story for loki but it's obviously like 
he's only just finding out who he is and he's still very yeah. young so he's a far cry from like loki in the mcu movies who's like what 30 something and you know or that's how old tom hiddleston is you know loki's obviously like, yeah, thousands like hundreds of, old, of years yeah you know yeah. what i mean like um he's got that sort of like youthful vibe to him in that but he's still like an adult in the mcu stuff but yeah here he's very much sort of coming into his own so i think that's really interesting and that's partly what i think actually makes him appeal to me as a character you know being someone who's mixed and has two different backgrounds i think it's really interesting mm -hmm. because kratos um sorry atreus 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 has that <laughs> as well right where he's he's half giant half greek right which i think is really yeah. interesting so he's got that godly side from his father which is what we learned about mostly in the first game and then in this game he's really learning about the other side of him the jotun side the giants so i think that's a very interesting dynamic like who does his basically his arc in this game is who does he want to be right like uh and that's very cool. what kind of man does he want to become because he's got two different backgrounds and you know there are obviously all these other norse forces who are trying to do things and uh with him and his dad so i think that's a very interesting coming of age story in the span in the context of this like larger epic right so yeah i uh probably one of my favorite things about 2018 god of war or it was just that, and we've talked about this already, so we don't have to go further into it, but just little tidbits of surprises. I remember when the World Serpent sees Loki for the first time, and it's like, oh, you look familiar, but there's something off. And then go back to Norse mythology, like, that's Loki's child, which is like, mm -hmm. oh, that's just very cool. So I'm very excited for to hear more about, or to see more of those little tidbits and surprises, as you brought up, that we don't want to spoil. Um, but this is not a surprise uh this is the last norse mythology god of war from my understanding i think cory barlock mm -hmm. said that last year um no spoilers but is this a an ending worth of those these two past games and can you theorize where they'll go next yeah it, it's one of those things where they definitely do a really good job of wrapping things up in a satisfying way while also obviously leaving the possibility for future things like they could obviously there are a lot of different routes they could go in, and i think um the way it ends is maybe not what you'd expect is what i'll say okay um, okay I'll take that however you will but uh i i considering again that they said that this is an ending to the norse world so there's obviously yeah it's one of those things where you know they've been working on god of war for so many years so you uh, there were even before they did the reboot, there were a few other like IPs they tried around with that got canceled. Uh, so it's like that studio has pretty much only ever done God of War. So you can totally understand mm -hmm. why they would maybe want to move on and do something different. And obviously, I'd be very happy to see them try to do something different because they're very um, talented. But, you know, it would also be really cool to see what else they would do. You know, would they bring God of War into the Egyptian world or would they bring it into whatever other mythology or Hindu, right? Like there's so many different things. You yeah, can kind of touch on so uh, you know who knows do you have a world you'd want them to bring them to next like if you if you can have a like if you can have anywhere any mythology do you have yeah i don't know i mean I, I think egypt would be cool uh the world of egyptian i mean i grew up i mean like a lot of people i was really being on Yu-Gi-Oh growing up so all that yeah. stuff is really cool to me and even like the modern assassin's creed games like the the sort of action rpg focus that they've taken now started with 2017's origins which was also set in yep. egypt and um so yeah i think there's a lot of potential for that world especially because obviously assassin's creed sort of 
took a more grounded approach to it. Like there was a few like fantastical sort of supernatural elements to it, but it was more grounded. Like obviously God of War is super fantastical and has all the gods and everything. So like seeing Kratos like fight raw or something, right. It would, would be kind of interesting, but yeah. That'd be very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Egyptian mythology has all these weird, like not weird, obviously, but all these animal gods. So it'd be cool to see, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Kratos fight like Sobek, who's just a huge crocodile. Yeah. Yeah, Or, uh, that hippopotamus in, that move that show in moon night yeah yeah in moon night yeah 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 that'd be like those random things would be cool um i'm such a weeb though so i'm like maybe japanese mythology that'd be kind of cool but yeah there's there's so many places for you to go um i have so many questions to ask but they're all like now they'll be like spoilerish and i'm like okay i don't want to know but i want to know so uh but i I won't know i don't want to (laughs) know um i think we should switch gears a bit uh i'm kind of i think i'm kind of springing this on you but any canadian news or canadian developer news we might want to talk about today it's a good question um not a lot at the moment to be honest i mean i guess the the biggest thing from a canadian would be the game awards coming up in a month um you know jeff Keeley, who's from markham ontario uh it produces that and you know i didn't know he's from yeah, for the first time, I'm actually going to be going, which is really exciting. So I'm. I'm oh, you're going. Of, yeah. Um, that's so exciting. I didn't super, know. Yeah, I guess that's a syrup cast exclusive. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm in the process of arranging stuff related to that, um, which will be very interesting because um, it's, it's a very cool thing. And, you know, uh, people have criticized the Game Awards, and obviously there's always things that they could do better, but I think. Uh, I have a lot of respect for how how it's basically one guy independently putting it all together like that people mm-hmm. I think underestimate how difficult that is especially like Polygon had a really good piece where they like followed Jeff over the course of like 6 months through the year just like oh from the early days of oh this is sort of what I want to do with the game awards to reaching out to companies to kind of the conceptualizing to kind of planning everything so you really get a sense of like how much work goes into that and how much logistical uh, difficulties there are in that, especially, you know, during COVID. Uh, so yeah, I'm really excited to see what they have at the show this year. Um, I think that's probably the big thing in terms of Canada, um, Canadian specific stuff. I'm also a part of the Can- uh, Canada Indie Cup this year, which is really cool. So I've been doing some stuff with that. They basically, it's an independent organization that they do a few different divisions. I think they have one for Ukraine as well, which is really great. Um, and it's basically just, uh, it's a, it's a jury of a bunch of people in Canada, media, developers, etc. cetera. Uh, and I'm one of the jury, which has really, been a really cool experience. And we basically just get a lot of submissions from different indie developers, um, very small teams, typically no more than like 15 people. Uh, but a lot of them are like two, three, four people, some even single developers that are just like trying to make a game. And so we sort of give them feedback, we evaluate them, and then uh like the the winner gets a bit of funding and and you know um support from other developers so it's a really cool way to sort of support the next wave of canadian indies i think uh so that's uh we're in the second stage right now there's it's been like narrowed narrowed down to i believe 15 um 10 or 15 shortlist um like nominees so go through those and then i believe the 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 winners will be announced by the end of the month but yeah i think that's a really cool thing to 
you know, maybe you know someone who's baking the game, or maybe you even just want to make a game yourself and you find what they're doing is really inspirational, right? It, I think it's really cool. And there's a lot of interesting stories in there, like some from like people of color and some people from uh, like LGBTQ developers and uh, all the different kinds of stories that they're creating. Obviously, a lot of them very personal. So I think it's a really cool initiative. It's very cool. I think we'll follow back on the indie stuff, uh, the indie mm-hmm. cup and stuff. Uh, our next podcast, which will be next month, uh, but our main focus for that one will be game the game awards, and we'll probably have it after the game awards, uh, just so mm-hmm. we can talk about the event and what won and the trailers we see out of it. But uh, in preparation for that, or ahead of that, your game of the year, God of War, Ragnarok. As you said earlier, are you yep. are you betting Definitely. on that one winning? Um, it, it's tough. You know, I've had that conversation with people. I think, uh, I mean, obviously the two front runners are Elden Ring and uh, God of War. I think, you know, on the one hand, Elden Ring maybe did more that was new, especially for the developer. Uh, you know, obviously Ragnarok is a lot more of an iteration upon the foundation of the 2018 game. Uh, you know, th- that game was such a big change for God of War already, so uh all, a lot of the innovations and stuff came in that game right this is sort of just a enhanced um mm-hmm. improve upon every sort of facet uh on that whereas um Elden Ring is a lot more unique in, in terms of what From Software has done and you know it's unique spin on the open world genre but you know there, as someone pointed out to me <laughs> these juries sometimes have you know a bit more of a recency bias especially when God of War just came out and maybe they're riding high on that and there are some people obviously yeah. who resonate more i mean the biggest reason for me that god of war edges out uh, elden ring is because of the story like you know people obviously i think what elden ring does what from games do with their storytelling a lot more like subdued a lot with un- items and environmental sort of storytelling rather than direct sort of cutscenes and narrative sort of thing um i obviously respect that a lot but for me personally just having a, a defined character to invest myself in and uh, sort of ground the story I it will always sort of win out for me and that's what God of War Ragnarok does the I'm gonna write a piece on it in a few weeks I think once the game is out and I can talk spoilers but just that core father-son story you know I've got a lot of daddy issues that that story <laughs> just resonates with oh. me a lot um, and I think they did they just did such a good job with it um, like it, it truly is one of my favorite stories in gaming and I think that elevates it and again obviously people play games for different reasons some people prefer gameplay and that's obviously totally fair and Elden Ring is probably going to win over those people but yeah TLDR you know I don't know I think it could go either way it was interesting because like in 2018 God of War was up against Red Dead those were kind of the two and Spider-Man, Spider-Man right? was up that year too but I think that like the two front runners were God of War and Red Dead and everyone assumed Red Dead would win and then uh, Red Dead was winning in every category but then God of War won game of the year so I could almost see a situation like that where maybe Elden Ring wins in every category, but then God of War wins, or maybe vice versa, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to say. But I mean, either way, you know, I think it's been a great year for games. There's been so many games that have come out this year, especially in the last few years with COVID and things being delayed or whatever. I think it's really exciting that this year has had a lot of like really good games. So the gamers win, you know, whoever yeah, wins for sure. game for of sure the year, win. Yeah. we win. So Yeah, I'm like... All right, so this week is God of War, but then next week is Pokemon, and there's so much mm-hmm. games coming out in November. There's also Evil West coming out later, which is another game I'm excited for. Um, for me, of course, right now, Elden Ring is going to be the, the winner, 
but uh for me but i obviously i just haven't touched god of war yet so uh mm-hmm. that might change things for me just because i'm also a person who loves that direct storytelling as well um but it's only time will tell and by the time we have our next podcast we'll know who wins god who we will know who wins game of uh game awards yeah uh, so I think that's it. Any, unless you've had anything you want to talk about before we end this podcast. No, I, uh, I just think, yeah, try to stay away from any spoilers if you can, uh, especially if you're not maybe going to pick up the game on day one, uh, whenever you're listening to this, um, yeah, just try to go in as, as dark as possible. I know, uh, <laughs> this podcast said a lot, but I tried to stay away from spoilers. Um, hopefully I, I didn't give away anything. And yeah, this game is amazing. Uh, it's well worth your time. It is not a DLC of the first game that some people have ridiculously said. It is huge, epic. Uh, you know, the word epic is, is used so much nowadays, so I, I don't, I, I, I only use it if it actually feels it. Uh, and emotional, heartfelt, exciting. This game is amazing. Play it. Cool. I'm super excited. And for any our listeners, uh, you can head to mobilesyrup.com to listen to, uh, to read, sorry, Brad's full review of the game. But that is it for our first ever Syrup Arcade cast. You can find me on Twitter at the Daily Dean, and of course on mobilesyrup.com. I should have a Pokemon review coming out soon, hopefully, in the next few weeks. I don't know. Um, and Brad, where can people find you? And yeah, where can people find you? I will also just plug, uh, by the time you're listening to this, I will have an interview with Sony Santa Monica on God of War up on the site. Uh, so stay tuned for that as well as my review, which is already live. And yeah, as for where you can find me, I'm on Twitter at Brad Shankar, B-R-A-D-S-H-A-N-K-A-R. Uh, at least for now, who knows what's happening with Twitter. It's kind of a crazy place right now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. for now, that's where you can find me. As always, you can find our content on MobileStrip.com and follow uh, MobileStrip on Twitter and Instagram, uh, or at least Twitter for now, as Brad just said, at MobileStrip. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.